we prepare to open God's word, let's pray together this prayer for illumination. Holy and loving God, send your spirit now that these words before us would be your words of life, your words of peace, and words of hope. God, grow good things in us through this gift of your word. Amen. This morning I'll be reading from the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verses 28 to 39. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was growing up in Iowa, my parents would sometimes take our family to the annual Tulip Time Festival in Orange City, Iowa. We'd watch the parades with the bands and the homemade floats and the Dutch dancers and their wooden shoes. We'd eat funnel cakes and poffergies, those tiny Dutch pancakes covered in sugar. So overall, this was the kind of thing I was really into. But my siblings and I were very young, and so if we found ourselves walking through a big crowd of people, my parents would always say something to us like, hold someone's hand, we don't want to get separated from each other. This is good advice, I think, but I was kind of an anxious kid, so those simple instructions would put me on edge. I'd hold on extra tight to my mom's hand, and I'd always had a plan of what I would do if I got separated from them. I'd look for my dad first. He was the tallest, the easiest to spot. If I couldn't find him, I'd look for a police officer. If 
I couldn't see a police officer, I'd look for another family with small kids. You know, I figured if they had little kids, they're probably nice people. And I would stay still and wait for someone to come and find me. Even the suggestion, however fleeting, that being separated was a possibility that was enough to send my young mind reeling. What would I do if I got separated from my family? As Paul writes this letter to the Romans, there are many things that threaten to separate the early Roman believers from God. Surely they too must have wondered, what will we do if we get separated from the family? What will we do if we get separated from God? As the first believers in Rome gathered to hear this letter from Paul, they did so under the shadow of an empire that had a vested interest in doing everything it could to separate these Christ followers from their God. The empire would beat them, put them in jail, even kill them, all in an attempt to smother any idea or suggestion that there might be a force out there who is stronger than Caesar. Caesar was the self-proclaimed Lord of the world. N.T. Wright explains that this meant Caesar's position was by implication challenged and threatened by this Jewish Messiah, Jesus, who claimed the same role as Lord of the world. So to come to Rome with this gospel of Jesus, to announce someone else's accession to the world's throne was like putting on a red coat and walking into a field with an angry bull. The powers of the empire threatened to separate the early Roman believers from God. And so they must have wondered, what will we do if Caesar rips us away from our Abba, Father? And it was not only the powers of Rome, but also the powers of sin that threatened to separate the Roman believers from their God. In chapter 7 of Romans, Paul shares this picture of a person who is a slave to sin. So it's not only the Roman Empire that would imprison and enslave believers, it was also sin. He writes, I don't understand what I do. What, what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, well, that's what I do. It's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. He's saying, I want to be better. I want to do better. I want to follow the law of God, but I just cannot seem to do it. This is a picture of a person who is exasperated, who is tired, who is imprisoned by sin and separated from God. He has seen all the life coaches. He has made all the New Year's resolutions. He has read all the self-help books but he is still riddled with guilt and shame for the things he has done and left undone. This is a picture of Paul and a picture of the Roman believers when they try to follow God's law by themselves. And so they must have wondered, what will we do if our Abba Father <clears throat> sees us for who we really are? What if our Father drops our hand walks away and leaves us to fend for ourselves. These same questions sometimes linger in our minds today. What will I do if something threatens to rip me away from God? What will I do if God sees me for who I am and walks away? 
What will I do if I get separated from the family of God? The reality of separation has taken on a much more immediate and palpable meaning for us in the past few months. But of course, you know that, having been separated from family, friends, work, school, and church. And so we cope by using technology, doing backyard or porch visits, wearing face masks, and gradually and cautiously widening our social circles. The relief that comes from seeing friends and family, even the excitement about returning here in coming months and weeks, just highlights how difficult that separation has been. And for some who are watching today, the separation that's happened because of this pandemic is settling somewhere deep in your souls. The separation may be amplifying your doubts, overshadowing hope, even straining your faith. Maybe being physically separated from this building and your church family feels a lot like being ripped away from a place of belonging. Maybe this church building has been a kind of anchor for your week and so you feel unmoored. At times it may even feel like this pandemic threatens to tear you away from God or God's family. And then there are also the ways that we're like Paul from Romans 7. The power of sin threatens to separate us from God. We might be able to fool the people around us into thinking we've pretty much got it together. But there's no fooling God and we're likely not even fooling ourselves. Reading about this person in Romans 7 is like we're looking in a mirror. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that's what I end up doing. Maybe you think I want to be patient and kind. But you know what comes a whole lot easier? Cynicism, sarcasm, even anger and rage. Maybe you think I want to honor this body that God has given me. But instead I keep finding ways to put harmful things inside it or treat it like it's expendable. Or I want to tell the truth, but it's so much easier to just bend the truth. I want to honor God in worship, but I just cannot help by being annoyed by all those things that bug me or just bored by it all. I want to serve God, but honestly, at the end of the day, I just don't know what that looks like. So it's just easier to put my head down and push through my days. We say with Paul, I want to be better. I want to do better but I just cannot seem to do it. Still, we put on our best appearances and just try a little harder because what will we do if our Abba Father sees us for who we really are and drops our hand and leaves us to fend for ourselves? What will we do if our church family sees us for who we really are and walks away? The power of sin threatens to separate us from God and from each other. In our text this morning, Paul assures the people gathered to hear this letter that Jesus Christ has faced separation from the Father so that they don't have to. So for those who are in Christ, these things that threaten to separate them from God will ultimately fail 
Paul assures the believers in Rome of three things, that in Christ God is for them, that God is with them, and that nothing can separate them from the love of God. First, Paul assures them that God is with them. We saw this last week when Pastor Amanda talked about how in the face of the Roman Christians' real suffering and pain, God did not respond by glossing over it. God did not tell them to just buck up and see the good stuff that's happening. No, God was meeting them in their suffering, in creation's frustration and bondage. God was with them in their confrontations with the Roman Empire. The Holy Spirit was groaning with them, interceding for them. The place where they could see most clearly that God was with them in their pain was in the cross of Jesus Christ. Suffering, pain, even death would not separate them from God because those are precisely the places where God meets them in the crucified Christ. In verse 28, we read that in all things God works for the good of those who love him which might sound a little bit like, well, the world's all going on, bad stuff's happening, but don't worry, buck up, it's going to be okay, everything's going to work together for good, so just sit back and relax. Which I suppose is ultimately true, and maybe that brings you some comfort. But there's another way to read this verse. The Greek grammar of this passage could also read, with those who love him, God works all things for good. With those who love him, God works all things for good. It's a subtle shift, but it places the emphasis on with those who love him. God is with them, working alongside them to bring about good things. Second, Paul says that God is not only with them, but God is also for them. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question. The obvious answer is no one. God is for them, which is to say God is not only with them in the face of these things that threaten to tear them apart from God, God is actively working to do something about it. The picture of the ruins from Rome testifies that there is one Lord, but it was not Caesar. Every empire in the world will fall because God is for God's people, drawing us toward his coming kingdom. And all the sin that threatens to hold these Roman believers captive and separate them from God has been dealt with through the death and resurrection of Christ. The fear that God might see them for who they are, drop, their, drop his hand and walk away, is simply something that will not happen because God did see them as they are. And instead of walking away with disgust, God did something about it through the cross of Jesus Christ. God did not spare his own son. Paul says in Christ they are justified, set free from their bondage to sin, and brought back to their Abba Father. God is for them. God is with them. God is for them. And this leads to the assurance and celebration that in the end, actually nothing can separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That fear of being separated from God is completely swallowed up by Paul's picture of a triune God who is beside them, 
within them, and before them. Jesus Christ is beside them in their suffering, interceding on their behalf. The Holy Spirit is within them, giving them life, freeing them from the power of the law and sin, interceding with wordless groans. And the Father is before them, beckoning them to the coming kingdom of God. And so Paul says nothing can separate those early Roman believers from the love of God. Not hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, not life or death or angels or demons, not the present or the future or any powers, not height or depth or anything else in all of creation can separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is God's word for us still today. When we wonder what will we do if something threatens to rip me away from God? What will we do if God sees us for who we are and walks away? What will we do if we get separated from the family of God? God tells us, I am with you. I am for you. And nothing can separate you from my love. On Easter Sunday this year, right smack dab in the middle of the lockdown measures, when the atmosphere was thick with grief over all the kinds of separation we were experiencing, I listened into a sermon from a Presbyterian church in New York City. The preacher, the Reverend Dr. Scott Johnston, told this story of Beth and Joe. Beth and Joe are from New Orleans, Louisiana. Back in April, this was one of the biggest COVID hotspots in America. Beth and Joe live in a multi-phase retirement and care facility that experienced outbreaks among their residents. And so it's been a challenging time for Beth and Joe, who were both retired professors. See, Beth lives in an apartment on one side of the facility, while Joe, who experienced a stroke, resides in the memory care section of the facility. So before the virus hit, Beth would go to Joe's room every day and wheel him back to her apartment. And there they would uh, listen to books on tape, they would talk, and they would sing. They would always sing the same German hymn, Go Out My Heart and Seek Joy. And being professors, they would sing their own translation of this hymn. In fact, Beth and Joe would retranslate this hymn from German to English every day. And because of Joe's stroke, every day was a little bit like starting over. But back in March, the memory care wing of their facility was locked down. And like so many people, Beth and Joe were separated from each other. Beth could no longer wheel Joe back to their apartment to begin their daily translation. So after three painful weeks of isolation and separation, the facility set up a video chat for the couple. So once a day for 20 minutes, they could talk. And what do they talk about? Well, Beth reported to Pastor Johnston that 20 minutes a day is just enough time to translate a single stanza of their favorite hymn, Go Out My Heart and Seek Joy. Then when they finish translating and singing, Beth repeats the same words that Joe now calls her litany. I love you. And I have not abandoned you. God is with us. God is for us. So nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. 
Jesus Christ is beside us in our suffering, praying to the Father on our behalf. The Holy Spirit is within us, giving us life, freeing us from the power of sin and the law, even praying with wordless groans on our behalf. And the Father is before us, beckoning us to the coming kingdom of God. And so Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not a hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or coronavirus or quarantine or doubt or anxiety or loneliness or guilt or shame, not life or death, not angels or demons, not the present or the future or any powers of sin or death or evil, not height or depth, not anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus. God is binding all of those things that threaten to separate us from him with a simple litany. I love you, and I have not abandoned you. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Loving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this, the gift of your word. Help us to receive what we have heard and to live in ways that witness to your deep and unfailing love for your creation. Amen.